Eastside Engineering Podcast, and this is your local friendly engineer, Cynthia. And per years, I tell you, get your notes out and listen in. So today's Taking the City goes out to the Drone Science Co. So I found them on Instagram today, actually, which was pretty dope, because I was looking for something for Taking the City, and I was super excited to find them. Um, they do STEM technologies, drone and robotics, neuroscience, GIS, um, FAA licensed pilot drones like they do a lot of stuff for like um, kids if you go through their Instagram and their website they put all their programs up there and um, activities and events that they do it's pretty dope um, and they're local per use so um, that's your Instagram follow for the week and look them out tell them that you came from the Eastside Engineer and support this group because this pretty dope to get the kids or just anybody in the city um, used to using drones because that's the future. So, um, we're going to move on to our local friendly engineer, and I'm going to have him introduce himself. What up, though? Uh, my <laughs> name is Matt Nelson. I'm from the west side of Detroit, Finkel, and Wyoming area. Uh, I am a PhD student, third, going into my third year uh, at the University of Michigan. Ding. Um, I don't have a bell today, so. You got my ding. Sorry. <laughs> dang. She played, man. I can, the do the, I can do the verbal dings. All right. Like. That's what's up. That's what's up. Or just give me a nice A. You're right. Yeah, yeah, so you know, I, I um, I actually, I got a lot of Detroit roots. I mean, I, I grew up in the city, was born and raised, hell, born in uh, the old uh, Grace Hospital, which then became Sinai Grace. Oh, not I Sinai Grace. Yeah, so I mean, my roots <laughs> run tough. I, yeah. I was a DAPSEP kid, going down um, the Cobo Hall every day, doing registration, and then going to University of Michigan, and then uh, Oakland University, doing all that stuff. And um, I actually went to Renaissance for a year. Um, I got kicked out. That's a whole nother story. What? A whole different story. Uh, ended up graduating from Cody, and uh, then I got to University of Michigan, so uh, here I am. I mean, I'm one of those kids that didn't go straight through. Like, I dropped out of college, and it took me about 13 years to get a four-year degree, but hey, I'm here now. Hey, look, you're a PhD student now. Sure, it's people that went through yeah. in four years that ain't even looking at a PhD. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> like. exactly. So I got to say, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Um, oh, no problem. I listened to a number of episodes, and it was crazy. You know, our, our circles really connect. So yeah. I, I know so many people, so definitely want to give you a big shout-out for what you're doing oh. and, and, and your part in advancing the mission. Thank you. And, you know, I actually had to come through with a little gift. So the, the audience can't see what we bring, but... <laughs> I guess I'm the first <laughs> guest to bring some browns. Uh, you know, yeah, you, got the, you you are. We got the Chuck Brown. We got the brown. It's going to be real mellow. And then I want you to break in these cups with me. I got oh. these cups from um, my national executive board at Nesby when I was national chair. Oh, my goodness. And Pete, they're the city of Detroit and city of Ann Arbor cups. So we're oh, gonna, my goodness. We're going to break these up. This is dope. Yep, yep. I wish I, I'm going to put this on the Instagram. These are dope. <laughs> That's so cool. Thank you, thank you. The only, the only other guest that brought me in, like, a gift was uh, Rich. Uh, he brought in, like, Fago and Better Made okay. Chips, which is, like, understandable. That sound like Rich? Yes. It was very Detroit, and I felt it. I felt the love. That sound like Rich. Yeah, I hear this. Yeah, I hear the glass clinking. 
So yeah, that's so. Oh my god, that's so cool. And you're a West Sider, so that's okay. I'm what you know what. <laughs> listen, I'm, I'm, you know West Side is the best side. I'm West Side. Oh. I, I got a friend. A lot of friends that came from the East Side. But if you think about it, right? Like the best high schools are really on the West Side. And I know I'm gonna get oh a lot of trouble Lord. with that. They're gonna be like Cass. On Cass, the East Side. Right? Cass ain't even engineer. East Side. Cass, Cass don't even claim East Side. They downtown. But they technically know. are like yeah. They technically are. But yeah. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> It's okay. I I mean, we got King, though, so that's still that's good true. high school. Don't try to do that. King. <laughs> I give you that. <laughs> but I don't know. My high school is pretty dope, but it's super small, and a lot of people don't know about it. Well, so what? I went to Davis Aerospace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we talked about that. Yeah. I, I took uh, uh, aviation classes in, like, uh, middle school. I mm. went to Malcolm X Academy, which, interestingly enough, was, like, one of the first African-centered curriculum schools in the country. Wow. So, you know, we had a lot of opportunities to do that. Or you could go to Votech and go to, like, uh, Breithoff mm. or Randolph. And so we had opportunities to learn a lot of stuff. And that's probably what fostered my uh, passion into, you know, science, math, technology, just being able to be hands-on versus being in the classroom all day. That's a perfect segue. So what inspired you to go into STEM? You know, it, 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 it's, it's interesting. I don't necessarily know I wanted to go into STEM at first. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a pilot. So that's why I went to Davis. I was on an aviation team. I got my private pilot's license. And I wanted to initially become a fighter pilot. So oh, I, wow. I applied to the U.S. Naval Academy. And to get in, you got to have a congressional appointment. Um, you have to be able to pass a, um, a certain level of physical. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that my eyesight wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. So what the Navy said was, we'll fix your eyes, but it's going to be like a, a significant additional commitment on top of that. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man. I'm 17. The earliest I'll be able to get out of the, <laughs> <laughs> the military is like 35. Doing a bid. Yeah. Like. <laughs> and, and looking back on it, like to be able to retire like 37, I mean, that's dope. Yeah. I ain't had that foresight, but I was a senior when 9 11 happened. Oh. So then, like, everybody was afraid, like, oh, man, if you go to the Air Force, they're going to say, I mean, if you go to the Navy, they're going to send you straight to war. Yeah. Everybody had this kind of like anti military phobia and all kind of stuff. So um, I just, I just, I bailed on the idea. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I feel like you're in a better place. I mean, you were, I'm where I'm supposed to be, right? right? Like, my pockets would have been a lot fatter <laughs> had, I, had I did the whole You probably thing. would be a lot crazier, too. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's probably very ableist to say of me, but I, I have two parents that are in the um, military, and both, and both are very interesting people, to say the least. So, and... I just think that you're in the right place. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I ain't got no regrets about where I am. Oh yeah. So I think you're right where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So what um what's your favorite like study and work snacks? Study and work snacks. Oh man, I, you know what? This is a whole different that's like a podcast in itself. <laughs> really? Yeah, because I'm gonna tell you what happened to me. Okay. So um when I, I dropped out of school, I've been gone for a while and mm-hmm. I came back and I was an adult student, right? And it was super stressful because I'm competing against everybody that was real young. Yeah. And so one of the things I didn't realize was happening to me is I was stress eating. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, hot Cheetos. <laughs> Shout out to the hot the, Cheetos. The, the hostess uh, <laughs> honey buns. Did you put them in the microwave or you ate them cold? You know what? I, I know a lot of people that did the microwave. I ain't, I ain't really mess with the microwave. Oh, you got to nuke it. You just I did it like just... one time. And it was good, but I was just like, this is too much work. Like, I, I, I need to be able to get <laughs> You got to enjoy the I'm diabetes at. the right way. Nah, listen. So, good, good, I'm glad you brought that up. 
So it ended, it ended up, I ended up with diabetes, mm-hmm. right? And like I didn't really know what it was from. And when they tell you, like this is how I found out, I ended up having to go to the hospital because I had this pain in my neck. Mm. And they told me it was like a from a bee sting that would not heal for like three days. Okay, like my body couldn't fight off the infection, and they were like, "Bro, like your blood sugar is supposed to be below like 140. Anything above 140 is an instant diagnosis, mm-hmm. right? So like that's like." Resting, so not like after you didn't ate a big meal or whatever. Right, but like resting, like you're supposed to be below 140. It's like, bro, you're at 541. Oh, like wow. at this point, like your body could start releasing toxins in your blood and your kidney could start shutting down. And I heard it, but wow. I didn't hear it because I'm still young at the time. I'm like 27, I'm good. So that whole snacks piece, like you got to figure out what it is for you, and you got to start eating something healthy when you snack. Because I see way too many people like. Just, just eating anything, whatever is available. Yeah, you can't develop that that unhealthy attachment to food. It okay, first off, these chips being more than a quarter definitely has curved my listen, unhealthy. Listen, <laughs> so back in the day, the candy lady used to like really sell candy for a, a penny. Mm-hmm. You know, bag of chips, a quarter juices, all yeah, that stuff was real cheap. Now. Yeah, like a ninety nine cent bag of chips is one thirty nine. I'm like, and it's smaller. Not even trying to. Ooh, that makes me so mad. Like, <laughs> I don't know why, but it, my spirit it is just. Soul. It really like bothers me every time yeah. I go into the grocery store or the corner store, or whatever. And I'm like, why are the quarter bag of chips a dollar? Like, I don't understand that. But I mean, I get it because I think they're trying to make it where you don't eat as many unhealthy snacks, but. I don't think that's what it is, right? Like, I'm one of those people that believe that businesses are out for one thing, and that's profit, mm-hmm. right? And so they make the decisions that will make them money. And at, at a systemic level, are all the snack producers getting together and being like, yeah, we need to make our, our prices higher so that people will stop eating our snacks? Like, I don't think that's <laughs> oh, no, that's definitely <laughs> yeah, not it. I don't it. think that's happening, but, you know, it, it is what it is. <laughs> they I probably mean, like, how can we make it cheaper so they can keep buying yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> inflation or whatever. So it's all a money game. That's, I don't know, that's something I rant about, like, almost every episode, but I'm going a, I'm to a let it go. <laughs> I, I, obviously, I need therapy for this because it really bothers me. <laughs> so, I like your intro. First off, it's a vibe. So, what music do you listen to? Oh, man. So, I used to be a DJ, and I used to listen to all kind of music. So, I grew up, you know, of course, on, like, uh, Motown, a lot of jazz. Um, I, I was huge into funk growing up, like, Parliament, mm. Funk uh, James Brown and JBs and all that stuff. And then like, when I was younger, I played uh, I played the piano. Um, and then I got into sampling. So, you know, like almost every song you hear out now is a sample. Definitely is. And it's weird for me because now the songs now are sampling songs that sampled other songs yeah. when I was coming up. So it's, I'm like, it's almost like Inception. It is. You know it's like I mean? a sample within a sample yeah, within a sample. Exactly. It's weird. It's, it's real weird. But, I mean, they, they vibing. And so, like, I... I'm definitely not one of those people to be like, oh, I can't listen to this person and that person. There's certain people I rock with Mm. these days. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy to think that Migos are vets now, (laughs) but they are. Like, they've been in the game so long that they are vets. They about to be. You just reminded me of my own age. Yo, Migos (laughs) is about to be old school. Like, (laughs) they are. Actually, some of their beginning songs are considered old school. Old school bangers. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my goodness. Throwbacks. Um, and so, like, I just, I just range the spectrum. I, I, I love jazz. Like, I don't know. I'm one of the few people, black people I know that love Michael Franks. You know, I mean, I get down and vibe. And, like, that's, that's, that's what I study to. Like, I, 
I'm able to just shut out and just study for long blocks. Yeah, jazz is really good for studying. I don't know why they don't have like studies for jazz. They do like classical music and instruments and stuff like that, but they don't relate it to jazz sometimes. Like I haven't seen one. Let me not say it's not there. I haven't seen it. I think it's the um, it's the uh, improvisational nature of jazz Mm. that can sometimes be a little complex and and make you think. And what's crazy is Michael Franks is actually some of the worst music to study (laughs) too. Because his lyrics are so musically dense and complicated mm-hmm. that sometimes it, it requires brain power to just process it. Right? Oh, okay. He, he was a he was a um, professor out in California before he got into music, um, and so like his lyrics are just really dope. If you never listen to Michael Franks, go and listen to it. You hear what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I got y'all homework. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, even some of the newer stuff. I mean, you know, I I I love anybody that can have a good time, that can have a vibe, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm not really into gangster music. <laughs> it be lit not, sometimes, though. Yeah, because because they're not real gangsters. Like I, I oh, so yeah. so I grew up in an era where like Detroit had gangs light. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really wasn't heavy Crips, Bloods, anything like that. But like I was on a tail end of uh, where you had uh, YSBs and Pony Down, mm-hmm. Earl Flynn's and Finkel Boys <laughs> and uh, just, just all that stuff, eight mile dogs, and like my uncles and, and all that stuff was a part of that. So I remember what like real gang stuff looked yeah. like. A lot of stuff now nah, ain't really gangster. No, it's stuff. It's stuff for the. It's for clout. Yeah, it yeah, is, it is. But like, I, but at a certain point, like I'm, I'm too old now to be listening to you talk <laughs> about shooting up the club and all this. Like I, I'm just not there. It, it's really not. Most of the quote unquote gangster rap is mainly for the production, like. I listen more for production. Like it's a song that came out, and I still to this day don't know what they're saying. Yeah. But this, like the production is so Person good. Is it's like, oh my goodness, if this person could just give me an instrumental, I would listen to that. Yeah. It's yeah. It's not. The lyrics are not there for most <laughs> most yeah, of the rappers. So, so I'm gonna tell you what you miss out the on though. You miss out on people being able to perform. Mm. I. I would say there's only a few people who really know how to perform, perform. Yeah. Um, Beyonce put on like a hell of a performance. It's a whole oh, yeah. choreography. You know you what know. I'm saying? Chris Brown is Shout out to the hive. Perform. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Even to a certain extent, like, like, even though you're not dancing, but Drake, Drake, you go to a Drake concert, it's a performance. It's real crafted. Travis Scott. Like, I didn't go to his, but I heard it was good. Astro World, it's a performance. Yeah. I'm not trying to pay no money to go and just watch you stand in one spot and like screaming a mic. Yeah, running back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> and so and so years ago, even to get on, you had to go through this A and R process where they would build you up mm-hmm. and you had to go to, you know, these these whack clubs to build your fan base. Yeah. Now these rappers are getting paid fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to do a walkthrough at a strip club. Or they just go to these festivals and yeah. get money that way. Yeah. And so, so it's like it's the the artistry isn't really been developed, and I I appreciate anything that requires like a mastery of your skills, mm-hmm. whether it's engineering, whether it's teaching, whether it's art, whether it's whatever playing piano, like anything requires a, a, the time to become a master at it. I appreciate it. That's true because it, it just feels it feels different. Mm-hmm. Like it definitely has a a more robust feel to it. Like I feel like this person's heart and soul is into this, and that's why. Sometimes I get frustrated with a lot of fans, even like a part of the Beehive. I love y'all, but I'm a part of y'all. When they like hound her for albums, like let her create. Yeah. 
Because what, whatever she going to give us, yeah. it's going to blow us away. So just yeah. let it come out when it's time to come out. Like, just be a good fan. Listen to her old records until you get, even when you tired, play them again. <laughs> like, like, even for people who harass Rihanna, like, first of all, she already said she's not giving y'all the album. Like, mm-hmm. she tried. She's like, she's trolling y'all at this point. Like, yeah, but sis putting up her own memes. Like, true, true. <laughs> but it's also the attention span, too. Because even if she put out the album, you'll consume it, and then it's like, well, what's next? Right. Everything People do is, that a lot. What's next? Yeah, so. And that's why it's, like, I was listening to a podcast last week, and they were saying, like, most of the songs that's in the top 100, like, the top 10 of the top 100 are all old songs. Yeah. Like, songs that people just got hip to that's been out for, like, four or five years. Yep. And. That's just like Lizzo. She's been out since forever, mm-hmm. and people are just yeah, now getting hit. Now. Like, they just now, like, oh, she good. Like, yeah, she was good five years ago, but y'all was so busy up somebody else's lane that you didn't even pay attention to the other music coming out. So, like, I do get that. Like, I I go back and listen to older music, too, because I'm like, wow, there's so many people we don't know about and, like, that were hot during this period but then got lost in the sauce like by 10 years ago like so and then it's a instagram page called sampled that um one of my guests barry was on here he runs that ig account and he goes through and show you all the different samples from different producers and stuff Mm -hmm. like that i enjoy that kind of stuff like i like to see the backstory of a song or where this one little riff came from or where this whole i don't like songs where it's like complete samples yeah. like you use the whole beat basically yeah. and just sung a different song on top of it and i'm yeah. like do i like the song or do i like the beat so, so that'd be so, me so i was just listening to this song the other day so like uh the kanye track uh no more parties in la mm-hmm. so i heard the song that that sample and it was dope but it it, it it's it's one part of it that sounds like the track, mm-hmm. but it's so complex. It's like it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. Yeah. So like people like Kanye, um, I mean, it, it's a lot of folks. Like Just Blaze is great at it. Yeah. There's a lot of producers that could go, come and find these samples that you aren't looking for. And back when I used to DJ, we used, I actually had to use records. Right. Mm-hmm. This is before Serato, before CD players. Uh, I'm 35 by the way, so like, I'm <laughs> a little, little bit older, right? Um, but like you had, it was a like all the DJs would go to the record stores like on the weekend, and they would go crate digging, mm-hmm. and they would look through classical music, soft rock, like all the stuff, looking for something that they could add on top of a breakbeat, so like mm-hmm. the dancers that was popping and locking and and b-boying all that stuff could dance to. Mm-hmm. That's been lost a little bit, yeah. And like people are getting real lazy, so like. One of the groups that's the most sampled right now is like Three Six Mafia. Yeah, they're sampling like all their catalog, and Three Six Mafia clears everything because you know DJ Paul's like I don't want to shoot nobody dream down, Mm. but they're not really like quality songs that they're creating based off the Three Six Mafia uh, songs that we love. Yeah, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah, we just got real deep into some music. You can tell Mm -hmm. we like music a lot. Mm -hmm. So I want people to know about your how do I say community engagement I guess you can say yeah. so what are ways that you help currently close the pipeline that's a that's a great question and I'm gonna say something that probably sounds <laughs> a counter to like popular belief or like approach today mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in community engagement and outreach 
early on, mm-hmm. right? even as I was going through school. And a, a big part of the reason why is because the black experience in engineering is being one of the few. Yeah. And so many uh, of us in this space are super focused about creating the next pathway, the next you know, professors, the next engineer, yeah. the next architect, whatever the case may be. And that's all in good. But one thing I've come to realize is that it's that's occurring at the cost of people being technically proficient and great at what they do. Mm-hmm. So I probably spent a good decade just solely focused on building a pipeline. So I started when I came back um, to National Society of Black Engineers. I was like 26 or so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I held chapter positions and worked my way all the way up to national chairperson. And I spent a lot of time. I traveled. I think one year I, I traveled like 120,000 miles just oh, wow. for Nesby, going around the country. And I spent spoken at the White House, um, um, been at the National Academies of Engineering, um, just been in the international, you know, spent some time in, in Ghana. Mm-hmm. And that was all good, but it wasn't necessarily helping my pockets. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so I think it's a balance that you could do. But I literally had, like, people that are close to me in academia say, bro, like, you need to, like, focus so you can get done <laughs> so that you can make money, mm-hmm. right, on the stuff that you're passionate about. And, like, there's a lot of money being thrown around for STEM, for STEAM, and mm-hmm. all these different initiatives. There's not a lot of quality control. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? I do. Like, it's not hard to, like, I, tomorrow I can start a program, write a grant, and then have some kids and do some programming and expose them to STEM, right? Every right. Is exposure. Exposing, That's cool. yeah. But then it's Sparking like, the interest. how do I know that those students will actually go on and have what they need to actually get into engineering school? Because mm-hmm. you know how hard it is, right? Yeah, me too. Like, um, I put it like this. At University of Michigan, uh, when I got into Michigan, I got in with a 3.4 overall mm-hmm. out of high school and a 30 on the ACT. The average GPA for like the class of 2016 was like a 3.9. Wow. And the average ACT was a 31. So the bar has gotten so much harder to get into engineering. At the same time, the public schools are nowhere near as good because, you know, the whole split, the DPS, CD, and EAA at the time or whatever, right? That reduced enrollment. That reduced the dollars that were going to both. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was just so many things that was going on in the city of Detroit. Uh, Lack of funding. Uh, it was really hard at, at a certain point in time to find quality teachers because they weren't getting raises. Right. All those things affect kids. And if you don't look at it from a system point of view, then, yes, you could be doing, like, great effort in your community, but they don't even have the infrastructure to get to where you need to go. Right. So I spent a lot of time helping them try to build that infrastructure. And for the next year or so, I'm, I'm taking a big step. Go ahead, become Dr. Nelson, and mm-hmm. then I can go ahead and focus back on the things that, that really matter to me. That would definitely help with the funding, too, mm-hmm. and making sure both you are taken care of and your community is yep. being taken care of. So that's huge. Yep. That's really big. I like that. And, yeah, being over the, like, um, June – June, July, August time, I spent a lot of time with some high schoolers. Mm-hmm. And it really showed me that the initiative is, like, in the home and in the school. Yeah. And, like, because I had that that uh, support system at home to, like, push myself to do mm-hmm. more. But I can see it in these kids that their teachers, like, just don't care. Yep. Like, 
these kids are brilliant and they came in thinking like oh i never i taught them coding like the mm-hmm. intro to java back mm-hmm. in development and a lot of them was like oh i ain't gonna be able to do that i don't know i'm like I pushed them by week four. They're like creating their own programs. And it's like inspiring them to feel like, oh, I can work for Google. Like I can actually do this. And I I told them like stay in touch. Like don't Mm -hmm. get lazy Mm -hmm. because you start school in two weeks. Mm -hmm. But even when school start, like still try to practice like, really i'm here rooting for you if you need somebody to make you feel good i got you because like we don't have that i don't think we have too much of that quality assurance to follow them along the path we all have that oh let's introduce them but like are is there somebody there to help them along the way like when they get in school after they're graduated making sure like are you getting a job that's like helping with your professional development this and that so yeah i I see that problem big time. Well, that that whole the, the career piece is kind of interesting. Um, one, the majority of computer science students who are graduating can't get a job at Google. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the reason why is because the curriculum it takes so long to change curriculum in higher education that they're not learning what they need to learn in order to be productive day one. Right. What they're learning are, you know, certain philosophies. They are learning how to think, right? They're learning constructs, but they're not learning what you need to to go in and kick and butt. Yeah. I hear it all the time. And it's not just CS. I hear it in IOE, in industrial operations. I hear it in mechanical. I hear it in biomechanical. I hear it in electrical. Mm-hmm. Um, the schools aren't preparing people um, but to a certain extent, there could be an argument that can be made that whatever a company wants you to do, like part of the job is to train you how to do it well. Yeah, they don't want to do that. And if, <laughs> and if they're not training you how to do it well, then shame on them, mm-hmm. right? So it's a it's a it's a two sided sword. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Like people are like, oh, they don't want to train people because they leave, and I'm like, well, it's probably a reason why they leave. Yeah, but well, 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 well uh, Society is changing. Mm-hmm. So my father worked at Ford for 35 years, then he retired. My grandfather worked at Ford for 30 years, and then he retired. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and years ago, the the loyalty or allegiance to a company was very different. It's like, hey, you putting food on my table, I'm going to show up to work, I'm going to get this check. Mm-hmm. Because what I'm making is so much more than what my brothers and sisters who aren't working in the automotive industry are making, right? right. Like, we all got that story. Yeah. We got the, either it was our house or we had the auntie right. or her, her man <laughs> right. was working at Chrysler. My man worked two cars. jobs, okay? <laughs> yeah. And, like, everybody wasn't that fortunate. But that came with a cost mm-hmm. because a lot of folks got very comfortable working and making overtime. And then when they weren't making their money, it was tough. Mm-hmm. In addition... Like making eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year, and you don't have a college degree. I'm not saying a college degree is the end all, be all. Right. But like, I know lawyers that wasn't making that kind of money, and so a big part of that at the company level is like, how can you continue to be profitable when you're paying employees that much? Then you wonder why a F one fifty costs fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. All those things are related. So. I'm not boo-booing on the, like, I grew up Union. Thank God I wouldn't be where I, I am today without having family that grew up in the auto industry. But at the same time, my my father died from cancer. My grandfather died from mesothelioma, which is a form of lung cancer, yeah. from exposure to asbestos. Yep. Right? Um, you know, my mother, you know, back hurt all the time because she worked at Chrysler. Like, 
their bodies were yeah. broken down. And that's why one thing I told myself, I never wanted to have to do like hard physical labor yeah. for the rest of my life. That was I was literally told that as a kid. Like my mom is like, you're never working in a plant. Mm-hmm. Like I don't care what you do. But a plant is not an option. Like, you can't go to the military and you're not working in a plant. So you got to figure something out. So I was like, I'm going to be an engineer. <laughs> well, f- at first I was like, I'm going to be an astronaut, which trickled down to me being an engineer. Mm-hmm. So one is still possible. It's just I'm not the working mil- on the it. Milita- <laughs> the military piece, though, is um, like if you think about it, I know a lot of people who have had great careers through mm-hmm. the military. They've traveled. They've been able to put their kids to school. They went to school for free. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not downing it. Um, there is, there, there are some downsides, of yeah. course, uh, especially for people who don't know what they want to do with their life. Yeah. And then they go into the military to try to figure it out. Yeah. Right? Um, and so there's, there's horror stories, just the same way there's horror stories if you go to college. Um, but in certain parts of the population, there, the African-American population, there's an immense fear about the military. Mm-hmm. And in others, there's such a strong allegiance because you got generations of people who've done it. Yeah. Because so. I think, well, I think my mom said not going to the military because both my parents were in the military. Mm-hmm. So my mom was in the Army. My dad was in the Marines. Well, they always are Marines. So he is a Marine. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was like, I did, I did the time for you. So you don't have to. And then, like, seeing how my grandfather and my auntie and all the people that worked in the plants, she was like, I don't want my kids working in the plant, which my brother ended up doing anyway. But I do have a brother on my dad's side that um, did Coast Guard, and it's doing real well for him. So I think, I mean, there are good sides to both sides, but I'm like, that's what I was told. <laughs> so I had to follow those <laughs> rules. Like, you know, some people say they grew up in the household. Like, you can only become a doctor, a lawyer, yeah. or an engineer, and those are your only options. Yeah. Those were my options. Like, so, you can do, you can be a doctor. You you can be whatever. She was like, you can be an artist. I don't care. But you can't, you can't go into the military. And if you, she was like, you can go into the military if you can get your degree first and be like a civilian. But she was like, no, you're not, you're not signing away your life. <laughs> so I read this article a couple years ago, and it talked about how the majority of the initial um, entrepreneurs that formed the Silicon Valley companies, Mm -hmm. the majority of their children did not go into tech. That makes sense. Right. They ended up doing uh, sociology, philosophy. I mm-hmm. mean, I guess when you got money, you got the time to contemplate the meaning of his life. Yeah. And when you ain't, it's like, I got to figure out how to get this money. I mean, if you start at Apple, your kids can do nothing. They can do nothing. <laughs> but, but still, like, there's a, there's a, for years, if my father was a plumber mm-hmm. and he had a trade, then guess what I became? A, a plumber. plumber. <laughs> right? Because it's like, you don't even have to go to school. I can teach you. And by the time you go get certified, you already know it because you got the inside route. Right. And for a long time, sons did what their fathers did. Yep. And that kind of changed as you start to introduce wealth into that equation. It does. It changes a lot. So I want to know, if you weren't an engineer, what would you be? Um, I would have been a pilot. <laughs> um, That's still, you still can be a pilot. I Yeah, but but... So the thing that you dream about when you find the reality of it, <laughs> it's not that appealing, right? So right. Um, the lifestyle of pilots, even though they make decent money, um, there's not too many professions where your seniority matters less than a mm. pilot. So if I go to work for uh, American Airlines for 20 years or so and I get laid off, yes, I get all my flight hours and everything, but when I go work for Delta, 
I start off at the bottom of the totem pole. I get the BS routes. Like, you get what I'm saying? Oh, that sucks. I don't. So, it, but it's not like if you're an engineer and you go to another company or a doctor yeah. or a lawyer. Or your a experience cop. follows you. Yeah, yeah, your experience follows you. So, I'll just like, nah, there's a lot of things about being a pilot that I don't really feel. They make a lot of money, mm-hmm. but it, <laughs> to a certain extent, it's no different than when I was driving trucks. Right. right? Like, I got to be from point A to point B. I got my regulations to tell me what I got to do to get there, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Nah, it was wasn't for me. So yeah. that, that's, that's what I probably would have done. Um, I had this running joke when I went back to school that I would tell people, and it was to keep me motivated so that I could go ahead and get my degree. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, if this doesn't work out, right, I spent seven years out of school, I gave up a $65,000 a year job to come back to school. If this does not work out, then I'm either going to be a bouncer or a male stripper. I knew stripper like, was. I, I that, knew you were going to say stripper. <laughs> I just my soul was like he about to say stripper. Watch. <laughs> listen, like first off, being from Detroit means that you think you know how to hip roll. Like that's just a part of this it. This right? visual is gonna kill me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm just like I guess, and that, that and I didn't want to be a male stripper. So like that motivated me. Like, bro, you gotta study. You gotta be at watch. At watch. And and keep in mind where I grew up, I grew up around the corner oh, from Watson Henry. Oh like, my I was goodness. Yeah. Right. And crazy story is my father and my mother actually met at Watts. My father was a DJ and my I'm mother just graduated. Screaming. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've been in one of those places and that was the first and the last time because I've seen more lady parts than I saw male parts. And I'm like, it's not, this ain't it. <laughs> this ain't it. It's a different culture. <laughs> Going to Cody, like, I knew a lot of people who were male strippers, even in high school. Wow. And, and, and they were walking around. I mean, they were cashed out. They had oh, yeah. Pradas and Kooji sweaters and all that stuff. Yeah, because they, they was walking around with paid. socks on. They were getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, and I just never, that never was my Oh, thing. my God. That's hilarious. He's going to be a bouncer or a male stripper. Yep. Shout out to the strippers. Shout, Shout out to, stripper. to the bouncers that protect the strippers. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, so you talked about it took you 13 years to get your four-year degree. Mm -hmm. So I'm very curious, how did you handle your stress, or how did you learn how to handle your stress in that time period? Mm. Well, that was part of the problem. I was eating. Yeah, eating, that helps a lot. (laughs) But it doesn't help in the long run. No, no, no. (laughs) So I drove trucks for three and a half years uh, across the country. Mm -hmm. And basically, I would be gone for weeks, sometimes months at a time. Mm -hmm. And my treat to myself would be like, I'm going to eat good. So I still today know where all the good food is across <laughs> the country. I know, so road I, trips with you. Yeah, like <laughs> I know where the best rib spots are in Memphis, right? Mm-hmm. I know where the best tacos at in San Diego. Just because I was, you know, always around, around the country. Um, but, yeah, that, that that definitely ain't healthy, right? And yeah. So, like, I had to learn how to process that a little differently. I would say, like, working out definitely helps. Working out. I was an avid basketball player. Um, I wasn't that good in high school, but I started getting good like after I graduated. Yeah. Um, so I was like, you said I wasn't that good in high school. Nah, you it, it wasn't my team. thing. It wasn't my thing. Nah, I definitely was not on the team. <laughs> <laughs> definitely was not on the team. Uh, and when I was young, I uh, I used to play power football, mm-hmm. and I blew out my knee. And so like by the time I got a chance to like recover, and and I thought about playing high school football, I had gotten kicked out of Renaissance and went to Cody. <laughs> 
And I want to hear this story about you getting kicked out of Renaissance. So that's gonna be my next question. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, but but yeah. So just I would say probably working out, okay. working out, listening to music, and then I daydream a lot. Um, I just zone out and think about what I want life to be, like what type of car I want to drive, what house. Wow, I, I feel seen right now. Yeah. Because that is me. I will zone out in a second and be yeah. gone. And people will be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, um, I just want to go visit a place real quick. Yeah. <laughs> like, just not be here. That is a good one. Like, what workouts? Uh, well, you said basketball. What were some other workouts that you did? Uh, so I was never really a, a runner. I hated running. Because I felt like running was something that football coaches made us do as punishment. Mm. I never wanted to do it because of that reason. All right. Um, I'll do it now, so I'll, I'll do, you know, two miles, two and a half miles, something like that. But really, like, lifting was always something I was interested in. Okay. Yeah, so lifting. Um, I got into yoga a little bit, um, but I prefer doing stuff like uh, Pilates. Oh, Pilates is yeah, good. Stuff that's, stuff that's low impact. I'm getting older now, like, I can't. I can't lift as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. You know, knees be hurting and all that stuff. So. I don't know. Them ladies that be in Pilates. Yo, no, um, they're very strong. Yes. They're very strong and very in shape. There's a So there's a difference than like, there's a difference between being strong, being fit, being flexible, mm-hmm. being in shape, or being like athletic. Right. Because basketball shape is different than football shape. Right. And that's different than... You know, somebody who runs ultra marathons and can outrun us all. Yeah. So you just got to figure out like what works for your body composition. And yeah. But well, I did Pilates. It's too expensive for me right now. But Pilates, I was like, man, I, these ladies look like they are like stick thin, but they can Super flex. They strong. can flex the strongest men you've probably ever seen because they are so strong and i would just be in that class like this lady is 61 and she's outdoing me mm-hmm. and i'm in my mid-20s mm-hmm. i'm disappointed and she like got like two three kids mm-hmm. had a husband had a whole life and here i am struggling <laughs> and i ain't got none of that on my resume listen you can never compare yourself to anybody else mm-hmm. on pretty much any level because you don't know what they're going through right and you don't know what they've been through and like the time, I tell you, like time is a great equalizer. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can do anything anybody else can do, given enough time, right, to catch up to where they are, right. Mm-hmm. And if, the best way to think about it, um, I grew up in a generation where you got whoopings. I did too. I, I, you know, but whoopings didn't work for me. Whooping. I was one of those people that they did oh, not work for me. It worked for me. All like once the once the pain stopped, I was back on my bullshit. Nah. <laughs> I, I got about a good three or four of my life, and I was just like, yeah, I don't want this. I don't want these problems. I got three, but it didn't work. What worked for me was taking my stuff. That bothers me more than any abuse. Like, to me, taking yeah. stuff from me is like, yeah. I feel like I'm in prison. But, yeah. yeah, the whoopings thing, it just didn't work for me. The taking taking stuff away didn't work for me because I didn't have attachments like that. Oh, I did. I didn't have some <laughs> attachments to, like, video games. I play them, but if you took it, mm-hmm. I'll just find something else to do. So that would frustrate my parents. Oh, they like, There's yeah. nothing that we can take from you to have that. Oh, you can't go outside? All right, I'll just play inside. Oh, you can't play inside? All right, I'll just go downstairs. Like, I'll find something. Oh, yeah. Just sit there and do nothing. All right, I'll daydream in my head. Like, I was that. Fine. I was that stubborn, but a whooping was like, ah, oh, no, nah, that's terrible. Um, but yeah, that the discipline and like 
the love. And there's some people that are getting abused. And that's just yeah, like, that's, that's different. Yeah, that's, yeah, different. that's, that's different. not what we're talking about. Um, and truth be told, like, I don't know. Like, people ask me, like, when you have kids, are you going to give them a person? Uh, probably not. Just yeah, I don't know. Just because there's so much residual, like, stuff attached to it. And, like, I can't, if I, I can't get mad right now and, like, kick this couch. Because if I broke it, you could sue me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I can't do that to animals. I can't do that to property. But for some reason, we find it okay to do it to kids. Yeah. And I, I think about that type of stuff a lot when I'm thinking about this whole outreach space. Because mm-hmm. there's so much that kids are going through under the surface that you can't see. Yeah. So you can't even compare like your childhood to where they are. Yeah, and you can't just show up and be like, "Yeah, you baby boy, baby girl, you can be an engineer, you can do it," mm-hmm. but they're hungry or they're being abused. Or yeah, they're not, you know, getting them the type of love that they need, like it, it really takes a village. And yeah, it does. Everybody don't have a village. Yeah, so the village got to come together and figure out how to support those that don't have. Yeah, that made me. This is super privileged to say, but like. I knew my childhood was different from a lot of these kids because the kids are talking about how they pay their own phone bill. I'm like, I'm 26 and I don't pay my own phone bill. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I would have been doing at 15, 16 paying my own phone bill. Like, so my, you responsible uh, for your phone? Oh, yeah. Lord. I've never had that worry. My niece, who was eight, begged me for an iPhone XR because mm-hmm. I bought one for my mother. Mm-hmm. Right? But... My mother's was free okay. because I got one, I yeah. got the XS, and they gave me the XR for free. Now, I'm paying a bill. That ain't no big thing. Yeah. But my niece comes and says, you bought Grammy a XR. I want an XR. <laughs> I'm like, yo, an XR is 750 I'm keep touching this. An <laughs> <laughs> XR is $750. Mm-hmm. I didn't get my first phone until 17 and it was a voice stream wireless prepaid voice. <laughs> I don't even know what that looked like. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't even know what that That's what I'm like. saying. So in my mind, like, I can't even conceive an eight-year-old having an XR. Yeah, my first phone was a Nokia. But my sister bought it for her. Oh. Right. And her justification was like, well, the organs allowance, and she pays for her phone, right? How okay. $34 a month or whatever she pays for her phone. I'm like... I get it. On one hand, that's a lot for like a kid to have because I lost stuff all the time when I was yeah. a kid, right? So that's one. But the other part is like if all of her peer group has iPhones and now she feels like she's the kid that doesn't have it, mm-hmm. that's tough. Mm-hmm. That's like the kids, that, like if your kid went to private school, and this happens all the time in places like Michigan. There's a huge dichotomy between the have and have nots. Yeah, it is. So I can see, you know, Range Rovers and Mercedes Benz and Lamborghinis, and you know, I'm riding a 04 Toyota. I feel <laughs> with like, the floor oh, missing. Yeah, <laughs> not the roof, like the floor. <laughs> I feel like crap. And yeah, it has nothing to do with us academically mm-hmm. or me feeling inferior. I just don't have what you have, right? right? But we in the same environment. We taking the same classes. Yep. You feeling just like I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Like it, that's a tough dynamic to go through. It is. That is that is true. I have, I don't know. I guess, I don't know. My first iPhone, my first iPhone was when I was like 18. But my first phone, I definitely had at a young age because I'm the baby from, well, I'm the baby in Michigan. Like there's kids younger than me, but they don't live here. Yeah. So I was the baby here. So everybody else is like, way older than me like the closest cousin to me was like three years and he's a boy so three years is like 
he was when I was fifteen, he eighteen, he doing everything else that ain't got nothing to do with me. So I I got the luxury of having technology and stuff so my mom can keep track of me. Right. So that's why I got phones so early. But I didn't I didn't have the access to the rest of the world through my phone mm-hmm. like kids mm-hmm. have now. Yeah, yeah. Like I yeah, I could call people but I couldn't I couldn't get on chat rooms or mm-hmm. I couldn't get on like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and see somebody in San Diego or talk to somebody in Ghana or like I didn't have access, but I did have the technology. So like that's the to me, that's the difference is like the access they have via phones now yeah. that I didn't have as a young kid. And people would be like, you had a phone at like 10. Like, yeah, I had a phone at 10, but I wasn't calling nobody. Who was I going to call? Yeah. I only knew one number. I don't know I don't I didn't have that access to be like now it's like they have and then TikTok and all these other Mm -hmm. applications like give you so much access to the world is what makes them having phones at young ages that's so creepy that's scary yeah and even if you put parental like controls and stuff on there there's apps to work through that like they had a, a website or um not a website, but they had a special on the news that talked about all the different apps that teenagers use. Mm-hmm. And it was one that's like the interface, the first interface you have, it looks like a computer, not a computer, it looks like a, a calculator. Mm-hmm. So when a parent is walking by, you you just think their calculator is open. Yeah. But you type in a password and it opens up to like a uh, inbox. Okay. So it's like a secret inbox. Yeah. And then if your parent come and you don't want them to see, you can just put your phone face down and it'll automatically go back to the calculator. Right. So they pick it back up like, what was on your phone? Yep. And then it's like, oh, I'm just using my calculator. Yeah. And I'm like, these kids is a little bit too smart. Well, I, no, I, don't, I don't think that it's their, I don't think that it's, I don't think that's their problem, the fact that they're too smart. At the end of the day, whatever proclivities that people have, they mm-hmm. will figure out how to how to make them happen. Yeah. Because people were doing, I mean, we was, you know, we was spitting game and hollering at people and all that stuff before yeah. technology. And my younger cousins. But they in your neighborhood, though. No, nah, <laughs> not necessarily. So I, so I remember my cousins, um, you know, they grew up in the iPhone generation, and they were like, man, how did y'all, like, meet up? How did y'all hang out <laughs> before y'all had cell phones? Right. It's like, you had some directions. Or you you know you you figured out like give me the phone or the the business or the nearby or the house or whatever or I'll call you for the pay phone like you but you figured it out you always clicked up and got to the spot that you were trying to go to right and they were like well what happened how'd you navigate before GPS yeah a map and conceptually anything that wasn't somewhere that you have gone it didn't exist it was like right. if you put a map and it was just blacked out that space just black like Highland Park just blacked out I ain't never been there. <laughs> until you go and now you got a concept of yeah, what that looks like right? what it looked like at least the main roads but like i'm definitely a part of the generation that i know what pay phones look for, look like i never used never one used it, yeah. never had to never wanted to i know what they look like though yeah i've seen one but you remember that song here's my number in the dime you can call me anytime Mm-mm. oh man that was a jam back in the day <laughs> so 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 but, but back to the early conversation right the, my concern about giving people all this technology too fast, mm-hmm. right? Is that it's it's just another platform for them to consume rather than produce. Yeah. And throughout the history of the world, African Americans or Africans in general really didn't have outside of natural resources, and mm-hmm. we kind of got played for that. 
um, real opportunities to participate in wealth generation. Mm -hmm. When the agricultural revolution happened in the United States, we were chattel, we were property, mm -hmm. and we didn't have land. And when we were able to get land during the Reconstruction days and after, you saw things like Rosewood and that land being taken away from us, you know, Black Wall Street, so on and so yep. forth. <laughs> then, once the Industrial Revolution happened, and it was all about machinery and efficiency, mm -hmm. right? We didn't necessarily have access to the capital because those things are very capital intensive. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of money to start a plant, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you can create a startup in your basement <laughs> with $250. Yep. Right? And you can go how, learn how to code online for twenty dollars a month. Yeah, twenty five right? from uh, what is it? Treehouse or yeah, something got, like that. You got Treehouse, you got Code Academy, Data Camp. I think uh, Dr. Kerry Jordan, they, they're doing something. Oh like yeah, Data Carpentries. Right. So like, there's all this information. There's so much information out there. People mm -hmm. are almost paralyzed what to do. Yep. But until you start being a producer, and I, that's why what you're doing is important because. You got to teach these kids not just to create, mm -hmm. but commercialize. Put your apps on the market. Let your friends buy your apps so you can start generating revenue. Yep. Right? With ads. With ads. And that's the game. The other part is people don't really understand. People don't understand why you, Why do you do a podcast. Who's listening? Like who's <laughs> a, and we had this kind of I used to be one of those people. <laughs> yeah. People are making guap yep. off of podcasts because they understand how to monetize their content. Mm -hmm. And I think that has to be the tangential discussion in tech. Yeah. When we're talking about exposing people. Like, okay, it's one thing to know how to code, but it's a whole other thing to know how to make money off of that. Yeah. Even within the confines of a company, because a lot of students, like a lot of kids coming out, don't really know how to be a professional coder. Yeah. They don't know what that is. Yeah. Right? They don't know what a workflow is. They don't know what QA is. Mm -hmm. Right. They don't know the difference between like DevOps and software development. They, they don't know all those different things. Yeah. Um, so, like, really teaching them what the industry is. I see way too many people struggling through engineering and they get into engineering and they're like, this ain't it. I see that a lot. Mm -hmm. I see that a lot. Like, yeah, I've had too many friends I've seen my mom that switch careers somehow or, like, they sick of it by now and they're going to be, like, in their fifth year of being an engineer. So, yeah, that's true. They don't really give you that in school. They give you that, have a good time, you know. Then it's going to be hard type of story. But let's get into this Renaissance Cody story because right. I need to hear this. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's it's. It's funny, but it's sad at the same time. Okay. So my, um, um, I was one of those uh, kids who grew up somewhat middle class. Mm -hmm. um, my, my father made some decent money as a meal writer for, uh, my mother worked at Chrysler. And then at a certain point in time, um, like my mother started using drugs. Mm -hmm. And my father was um, one of those guys who used drugs back in the day. Mm -hmm. And for like, for people with this generation, they don't kind of understand like how it hit. In the seventies, um, cocaine use was as prevalent as weed. Mm -hmm. It was just a thing. People would, it was a party drug. People would, you know, toot up and go to work. Like they wouldn't think nothing about it, right? They still do it today. Still do it today. Yeah. <laughs> so then when crack hit, it destroyed the fabric of Detroit. Like, it mm -hmm. destroyed the communities. And all of a sudden, you started seeing these dope houses popping up. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people's family members strung out and stuff like that. And so, unfortunately, my mother got kind of caught up in a, in, a, in a space. Mm -hmm. And it was hard, you know, for their relationship. 
because my father was a recovering addict. He mm. was very heavy in Narcotics Anonymous. So I grew up around Narcotics, uh, Narcotics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. And uh, at a certain point, like my mother went to rehab, and my father left, he moved. Um, and so, like, I stayed with, you know, one one of them. I would kind of bounce back and forth, whatever. Right. Um, but that was just really, really tough. And it happened uh, as I was going into eighth grade. Oh, so that's like a big transition. Yeah, it's a big transition, right? And so when I go, I moved to Renaissance, uh, when I when I get into high school, my father is living with a woman and her two kids, mm-hmm. right? And the woman was nice. I mean, I, my father is passed now. He passed in 2015. And when you're young, you don't really kind of understand. You have a lot of resentment and stuff. As I got older, I kind of understood and forgave him and all that stuff. But that was hard to deal with, yeah. being that young, like, I'm over here, we're trying to figure out what we're going to eat, and you got the full freezer, the flat screen TVs, and the mm-hmm. nice cars, and like all that stuff. It was, it was hard for me to process. Mm-hmm. So, and when I got to Renaissance, I really wasn't interested in school, and I couldn't afford some of the things that, like, the other kids had at Renaissance. Because yeah. a lot of kids from Renaissance, like, went to Bates, right? They went to these, these schools that were pretty affluent. Mm-hmm. My The reading list, my ninth grade English class gave me was like 11 books Ooh. and you couldn't buy it wasn't on amazon or anything like that yeah you could only get them from my like apple bookstore which is down the road i mm-hmm. couldn't afford to buy all the books so i started off the semester behind mm-hmm. and then my algebra class you actually had to have a graphing calculator before you could do any of the work oh, well wow. that's a privileged thing to do right and nobody ever said, well, what if you can't afford it? Like, what can you borrow one? Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. So that summer, I knew I needed a graphic calculator. Like, I asked my grandmother. She bought that month for me for a birthday present, right? Aww. And this uh, one of my teachers asked to borrow it because uh, she was, like, grading some papers or whatever. So she brought it. And then the next day, she the story goes that, like, she had a nervous breakdown and never came back to school. <laughs> Wow, did she with, bring back your calculator? With my calculator. She never came back without never your calculator? Never came back with my calculator. Oh, right? so no. So now I don't have a calculator for algebra. I don't have First off, since what you need it for, you going crazy. I don't have all the books for English, right? And then um, they played me with, um, like, you know, in schools you got to have physical education. Mm-hmm. So I wanted gym. I, you know, I wanted to hoop. I wanted to lift weights. I wanted to do something like that. And my counselor talked me into taking aerobics. <laughs> My ninth grade year. <laughs> and so for those that don't know, like back in the day, uh, Renaissance had like a very dope dance company. Mm, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, Mrs. Ellis used to teach it. And so Mrs. Ellis taught aerobics. And my counselor sold it to me as, you're going to be in there and it's going to be all these dancers, these girls <laughs> and all that stuff, right? They petty for that. Girl, I got in the class <laughs> and it was like 75% dudes. It was oh, like dudes the they probably team. told everybody they that. They told all the dudes that. And then Miss Ellis had us, we had to perform in two dance recitals as a class. <laughs> we had to like come up with this thing. <laughs> right? Could you imagine my right? like trying to do these little dances or whatever? So like... It was just like it was just crazy. Like my whole experience in Renaissance was crazy. So long story short, uh, I used to skip. Mm-hmm. I would skip like every day, like around the fifth period, and my friends would see me like running outside to the bus stop with my coat right across the street. Nobody <laughs> ever called me. No tourist officer ever said right that. across the street. Right across the street. <laughs> but I would catch the bus and go to work. I had a job because I lied. Oh. I said I was seventeen, not fifteen, and I was able to work. Okay. And unfortunately, like I needed the money to pay for. 
everything. Like, I would bring home chicken, the yeah. leftover chicken, and that's how we would eat. You know right. what I'm saying? So, like, that was that was my problem with Renaissance. There was no, never anybody to be like, what's going on with you? Like, do you have any issues? Like, clearly you're struggling. It was just right. like, yo, you ain't meet the cutoff. We're going to have to put you out. Wow. Yeah. I hope they've changed that over time, but I don't know. It's I don't a re- I, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's kind of a resource issue, right? Because mm-hmm. you need a school social worker to kind of pick up some of those things, right? Yeah. And you need teachers that are trained to look for certain issues that kids have to right. be able to divert them towards the resources. And that costs a lot of money, money that for a number of years Detroit public school systems really didn't have. Yeah, they push people to, like now I feel like, because even when I was in DPS almost 10 years, over 10 years ago, like, I felt like they were more gearing the education towards getting better scores in the standardized test versus, game. like, preparing you for the next step in life. Versus, like, they're worried about their scorings and, like, their ratings in that area versus, like, the actual students. Guess what? That doesn't change in life no matter what level you are. Universities are about the ratings as well. Yeah. Right? And companies are about the ratings. Well, what's their ratings? Like, the... The U.S. News and World Report, best companies to work oh, for. Oh, yeah. Diversity Inc. ratings, right? Yeah. And for those that are public, shareholder value. Yeah. What's the stock price? What's the market cap? So, like, the, what you're graded on, like, people get it twisted in thinking that what they do matters. Mm-hmm. And it's not what you do that matters. It's the impact that it has that matters. Yep. I could, you know, do a whole lot of working out, whatever case may be, but if I'm, like, eating some crap and, like, it's not having any impact. You're working out for an hour and a half yeah. and going and eating Popeyes. And going to eat Popeyes, right? <laughs> eating that new chicken sandwich. Yes, right? shout out to that chicken sandwich. It, what I did, I, I, I did more work mm. than the other person, but it didn't have an impact. Right. So I always tell people, be intentional and impactful, whatever it is you do. That's what Solange told her. She said, don't do nothing without intention. Do nothing without intention. Mm-hmm. That was something I really took from that last album that she had. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so... What is an accomplishment that you accomplished but you never thought you would? Um, I never thought that I would go and try to get a PhD. Okay. I never saw myself getting a master's. Um, and I definitely never saw, saw myself becoming national chair in SB. Yeah, that's, I don't know. <laughs> Even me, I'm like, I don't never see myself doing <laughs> Yeah, it was a weird thing because there's nothing that I, that I wanted yeah. at first, right? I was just, I was in love with the work. Mm-hmm. I came up through finance zone, so I was always good at you know corporate relations, and I mm-hmm. had relationships that other students didn't mm-hmm. because of the connections I had made and because I was older. Mm-hmm. So I just always was able to leverage that at every level, and I always tell people like the rush to be a leader. Um, it's there's a certain there's there's certain experience that you need to have. Yeah, there's certain social capital that you need to have. Even like within a company trying to get a promotion, right? Mm-hmm. You can get promoted too fast, too quick. Um, and when you do that, and nobody is 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 there to have your back in those tough decisions, or yeah. When you need to make a pivot, a controversial pivot, you know, for a, a legitimate strategy issue, you mm-hmm. need people who can be like. I believe in you because I've seen you work. I know you do good work. I know right. your heart. I know you got the best interest. I know you got my back, best interest. I'm gonna ride with you. When you just shoot up real quick, you don't you don't, you don't build that. Right. So that's a part of the issue. But um, I just grinded, and people were like, "Hey, we want you to 
take this next step and I just listen. Yeah, and you was in that boy for two years. Two years. Two years. Yeah, two years. It, it was a crazy two years, too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just being in the regional. And then the closest I've ever gotten to the National Board and NSB is a CPC. And I'm like, I'm good. Like, CPC was my, I feel like my benchmark. Like, it's that's a difference. My... It's, a, it's a big difference between the conference planning committee and, and the executive board. And the big difference, supposedly, is that the CPC is very much engaged in the day-to-day of what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And a board has to be thinking about what's going on next week, next month, mm-hmm. next year, three years, five years from now. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for you to do when you're so young, inexperienced, and trying to figure out life at the same time. Yeah. That's what makes it so hard. And it was hard for me. Like, I was I, I was the oldest national chair. But at the same time, I imagine it was probably as hard for me as it was for other people mm-hmm. trying to find your voice. Um, you really don't realize the power that you have in that space at mm-hmm. first. Um, you don't realize that people are always on, always watching you. Mm-hmm. You can't move like you used to move before. Um, and a lot of what you do is not for you, but it's for them, like mm-hmm. trying to be inspirational for them. Um, so you kind of lose a little bit of yourself from that that regard. But... The experience that you have is priceless. Yeah. The one thing I, even just being on a regional board, one thing I realized is people think of you as like, have like this God or like this pedestal. And I'd be like, like, I'm regular, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just on a regional board. Like even you though, get it all together. Yeah, like, no, I'm just as regular as you. I just, I, I like had an extra thing to add to my plate. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, so we're the same the, people. Right. So that's the gift and the curse, mm-hmm. right? Because the gift is that. You have that experience, and it actually makes you want to step your game up, mm-hmm. right? Um, and for them, it gives them something to inspire to. True. The curse is that sometimes that a lot of times that comes too soon. Mm-hmm. You haven't done anything to earn it, right? A lot of the groundwork has been laid, you know, by the the, the founders and the subsequent people who did work after that, right? right? And so, like, we walked in that footsteps. I walked into an organization with 30 plus years of history and a $12 million budget. Mm-hmm. I, didn't create, I didn't do anything yeah. to earn it, right? Yeah. So the question becomes like, what do you do to make that sustainable for the, the next group? Yeah. Right? Um, and, and I'll tell you, sometimes Nesby can turn people into monsters. I can see that. I never forget, like Carl Mack told me that a long time ago. I didn't really necessarily know what he meant, mm-hmm. but okay. You're you're a senior, and you're on a board, and you're responsible for, let's call it a modest, a two hundred thousand dollar budget. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're a treasurer. You got budget authority. Okay, and you get to determine who gets to travel, when and where and how and all that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. You got responsibility for that. You get to decide which programs get funded, which ones get cut. I mean, it's, it's a lot of responsibility that goes there. Yeah. Okay, you do that. And you have a decent year. You balanced your budget. Let's say you made a 10% profit, right? Everybody's like, hey, you did a great job. And now you go to work. Mm-hmm. And you're the low man on the totem, or low woman on the totem pole, mm-hmm. right? You have no seniority. You have no say. And let's say you want to go to a conference. Mm-hmm. You got to ask for permission in some cases, you got to write a proposal. Yeah. You got to see if you can take some time off. Mm-hmm. I had a budget of about $100,000 or 
or so when I was in, working at Hyundai Kia. Mm-hmm. My budget didn't get improved until six months into the year. Oh, wow. So I'm supposed to like meet my goals and all this stuff, and I have no money to do it. Mm-hmm. So I can't even spend. If we travel, we went to um, CES in, in Vegas. Okay. And they gave us a travel cap that was like less than almost all of the hotels. <laughs> So we was like at the Hawthorne Inn or something like that. Everybody <laughs> else, they had the MGM. Having a good time. Having a good time. Eating steaks. Like, I kept crazy. And I, I heard even crazier stories of people like having to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and drive two hours mm-hmm. to get to their client because they couldn't spend no more than $200 a night. And you're talking about in New York City. Ooh. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because of the policy. Yeah. So like a lot of times, like that's a downside of working for large companies. But... If you don't know any better and you walk in that situation, you can adapt. Yeah. Imagine that you was just that 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 person. Yeah. Right? You was that dude. Or yeah. That, that woman. And now you're in a situation. It don't make sense. Yeah. They don't know how to use me properly. Why why can't I mean I know how to manage the budget. I had PL responsibility. I had all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say sometimes it comes too soon. Yeah. And a lot of people who had leadership experience in Nesby. That first job, it doesn't work out for them. Wow. Well, let me find out because I don't have one yet. But <laughs> we can talk about that. We can talk about that. I need to. Somebody need to find out a way to use me. Yeah. But okay, so I'm gonna get into your business, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna combine this question. Um, one, I want to know, like, what was, what do you think is the secret to your success, and like, how do you think that it help you accomplish your goals in the next three to three, five, and ten years? Okay, good question. I had a cousin that was very close to me. Well, he still is. And when I ended up getting kicked out of school, I had a lot of resentment and I blamed a lot of stuff. This was in college? This was in college. Okay. Right? Um, I, um, my GPA was like a 1.8. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through some health issues and I felt like the university treated me unfairly by not allowing me to... Um, reschedule my uniform exams because mm-hmm. I got sick and my grandmother passed within like two days of each other. And Ooh, that was like the yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. And so I just held this like resentment towards the university and I remember my cousin was like, all right, I'll let you bend. I've let you wallow for a year or so um, but now I just got to give you the real talk and you can either be a victim or you could be successful but you can't be both. Mm-hmm. And like I just always remember that as Almost like a challenge. You're like, what you gonna do? Mm-hmm. Like they did. They played their card, and they <laughs> sleep. Good. They sleep good at night. They they don't even know you mad. Yeah, they you mad. <laughs> so what? And that's funny. I'm gonna come back to that. Um, so I'm like, well, what am I gonna do? I guess I gotta get on my grind. And mm-hmm. I, I, it, it took a lot for me to even get back to school. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I drove trucks. Um, I was a janitor for a minute. Me and my wife, we got married in 2010. We moved to England. And I got there. I had a work visa, but nobody would hire me because they thought I was coming back to the United States. So I had to work under the table as a worker's mate on a truck that was delivering, like, alcohol and tobacco and stuff to their equivalent of 7-Eleven. Oh, wow. Okay? And then I was, like, trying to get DJ spots. I was just hustling. Mm-hmm. I was, like, an unpaid assistant on a, a college football team. Uh, then they made me a coach. A little bit of money, so like I struggled for a long time, mm-hmm. and then when I came back to the United States, I couldn't really find a decent job. So, 
what I did was um, I took two part-time jobs, and they were part-time because they didn't want to give me benefits. Mm-hmm. But they were still like 30 hours a piece each. Okay. So I was working 60 to 70 hours a week, and I enrolled in Lancaster Community College online, mm-hmm. and I would do my work at one of the jobs. <laughs> like, I would rush through and get all my work done, and then I would do my schoolwork. Okay. And that job was like from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So for like three months straight, I only got like four hours of sleep at the most. Ooh. And two of those hours, I was sleeping in my truck mm-hmm. during winter. <laughs> like, you, like, 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 I, I can understand, like, yeah. you, you hear these stories about, like, successful athletes that was homeless mm-hmm. or these actors that, like, now they're millionaires, but they were homeless. Yeah. I was never homeless, but I had to grind. I had to yeah. have, like, a different level of grind to get out of my circumstances. So that, like, I, because I had that tenacity, I know, one, that no doesn't always mean no. Right. Sometimes it means not right now. Sometimes it means not this way. Now, mm-hmm. I ain't talking about consent now because in consent case, <laughs> right, like no does mean no. It uh, absolutely, it absolutely means, means no. no. <laughs> but like if you, you try to get financial aid and they say no, all right, that doesn't mean the book is shut. Mm-hmm. Who else do I need to talk to? Right. How do I need to reposition my case? Maybe I need to go to another university. I need to talk to somebody else. Right. But if this that is alternate what I, routes. An alternate route, right? So that tenacity, like mm-hmm. that pit bull tenacity that I'm going to figure it out is, right. is, is what I was developing. Um, and then perspective, right? So like you zoom things at a 30,000-foot level, and you figure out that like the problems that you have, don't matter. There's genocides going on. It's a lot going on world. in this world. Like, it's a lot of crazy stuff going on. You and I are privily, pr- pretty much privileged. Yeah, very privileged. Even though privileged. it's a little hot in this world. We got a fan. <laughs> right? But it's fan. still privileged. But there's some folks that don't even have electricity. Right. So, water. Water. So, like, I mean, traveling out of the United States, I was in Ghana. My wife was taking a shower, and then the water just ran out. I'm like, what happened? And they were like, yeah, the water's finished. Cause they in some places in the city. I just did a puppy dog head tilt. Like what? Yeah. No. And so she's still soapy. Like I would impose it. I had to get a cold <laughs> bottle of water to rinse the refrigerator <laughs> to rinse. Like you know how miserable that is. Yeah. I get mad when like you know they have like those little brownouts and yes. sometimes like your your um electricity may be off for like a day or maybe yes. your, if it's a Friday and it might be off for that weekend. Yeah. I'd be like heated. Like I've. Oh, I'm very, yes, I'm very privileged. I realize that. (laughs) Yeah. And so the more you realize it, the more that you can understand, like, what you need to do to stay privileged. Yeah. Like, once you realize your privilege and you know you like it. Yeah. Like, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be privileged. Yeah. But earn it. Like, work and put yourself in a position. Like, I had money and I lost it all. Mm -hmm. Like, I had, you know, respect and and accomplishments, academia. I lost it all. I had to go back and get that stuff. So I'm not afraid of loss. So I'll take the challenge, whatever it is. You know, going for this PhD, it's a different world. You sound like a real Detroit hustler. And that's part of it. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. Because your your degree does not confer you success. Right. I know a lot of people who have degrees that are having marginal, if if any, because they didn't get that that mindset of, Mm -hmm. like, I got to go and get it. A job owes you nothing. At all. Nothing. (laughs) At all. Right? There's a psychological contract that's created when you go into a company and, and, and but they never put it in on paper. No. You thought that. You well they kinda do when they put that at will. That's kinda telling no, you no, like, no, oh no. No. So so hear what I'm saying, right? So 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 this notion of like loyalty, mm-hmm. right? Like that's not written down anywhere. No, oh, no. You put that in your head. Yeah. Right? Or like one of the problems that I have with some 
people who, who work in the union is they believe that their jo- that job is theirs. They own it, mm. right? This is my job. I don't, they got I, their name I on it. Look, or I do this section. Like, you know, uh, don't put me on another plan. Don't put me on another rotation. Don't put me on another shift. Like this is mine. It's like you don't <laughs> own nothing in here <laughs> at all, and they don't owe you anything, right? So like, I, I always try to like. Stay away from that sense of entitlement that mm-hmm. somebody owes me something. If I want something, I'm gonna go get it. Period. That's literally how it works. Mm-hmm. You gotta get that um, go getter mentality. Yep. So, oh, that's the other one. The your goals, your three, five, and ten. Three, five, ten. Um, within the next three, I'll have my PhD. Ding. I'm, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out where I want to be in the world. Okay. Um. I've lived overseas, um, and I would like to live overseas again. I just don't know where yet. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, I don't, I, I don't want to live in Michigan anymore. Really? Not because I spend so much time here. Yeah, I think I need a break, too. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I'm definitely not with the winners. Um, <laughs> I don't mind it. I, I if I didn't have to leave it. my house, during, yeah. like I would be cool with it. Like, right. you leave for leisure reasons. Like, I want to go out. But if I had to go out, that's a different feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I ain't with it. <laughs> it's like, not me. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've had it. I mean, I've just been here for, for so long. The other part is um, my networks, right? So, like, I'm, I'm always trying to, like, grow my experiences, who I know, so on and so forth. And I'm connected to a lot of people in Michigan, the state of the state of Michigan, city of Detroit, the university, so on and so forth, and so I'm ready for a different space, a different yeah. challenge, and make my name in a different space. So people yeah, know true. me in the Nesby space, people know me in the University of Michigan space. Now it's time for me to kind of stretch, so I still feel like I'm trying to accomplish something. Yeah. Um, I started my own design consulting firm. Okay. Uh, it's called Orsa Design, and it's based off of this, you know, this Yoruba religious thought that there are orishas that exist to help you understand how to live life better. Okay. Like, like deities, right? Yeah. Um, and I t- kind of took that philosophy and said, I want to be able to, to to design organizational culture and spaces. Mm-hmm. And doing that using um, human capital management, how people, how organizations identify talent, recruit talent, develop talent, yeah. care about talent. T- yeah. Right? Um the different business processes that they put in place to make decisions, mm-hmm. and then the systems that uh, help them make those decisions. So um, that's going pretty good. Uh, kind of slow playing it as I'm finishing up my research. Okay. And then I'll probably grow that out some as well. Um, I don't necessarily have a financial uh, target per se. I know where I want to be. I know how much I've made. I know how much I want to make. I ain't about to put all my business out there. <laughs> right. I was about but, to find you out there on yeah, Mac. Exactly, <laughs> but uh, your pockets, you know, nice and nice and healthy. Yeah. Um, but for me, I think it's probably more than anything a conscious decision to be more healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, I've, I've, I've lost yeah. weight. I've, I've transitioned. Um, I I'm one of those people who are not participating in this whole Popeyes chicken. <laughs> Chick-fil-A. Because eh. I don't care. Like, I, I personally don't care. Like, it, it could be, one can be the best whatever, but, yeah. like, neither one of them are good for you. No. So, I'm sitting on the sidelines and not do, do that. Um, and Honestly, the memes are the best part. Yeah, they are. The no, jokes I'm, are the I'm best part. I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm, I would love to hear the debate. I just can't participate, right? I, That's I, right. I have. I've participated twice. I haven't twice. been back because I'm not sitting in those lines. 
I'm not doing it. When did fast food stop being fast? That's that's as a convenience junkie, I just I can't I can't sit I can't sit in this line for this long for a sandwich. For a seven dollar sandwich. My time is way more valuable. So, <laughs> so I have I have a problem with it, particularly because I'm an industrial engineer mm-hmm. by trade. So Nothing about that whole process of going to fast food and getting your food makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't make sense how long it takes, and like all the technology, like I can literally say hello Siri and like text you whatever I want to text yeah. you. But you mean to tell me that I still got to hear? <laughs> like that, y'all can't get no clearer speakers, right? You know what I'm saying? And then it's like, are you making these orders one at a time? There, you you should be able to use artificial intelligence to like predict when you should drop some chicken. Yeah, you should never be out of chicken. That it should be somebody sense. that goes through like comp- they should have some type of like somebody in there to do that to let them know like get that streamlined. And it's it's not that I think because one because Popeyes has been known as like a hood chicken spot, just like just like the churches or whatever. So they don't. I don't think they care about being efficient. I, th- that's where I disagree. I, we know Popeyes is that, but the people that own Popeyes don't know it as that. The individual franchisees don't look at it like that. They're looking the at the way it. they handling their businesses. It looks like that. And, that. and I think that's the problem, right? Because it it doesn't take much other than like capital mm-hmm. to to start a business. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these folks really don't understand business. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that, and I'm I'm, I'm not. I'm not shitting on nobody's dream. Right. But there's a lot that you got to think through. I'll tell you when I realized this. And this is prevalent in our community. Do you remember when all these boutiques start popping up? Mm-hmm. And then, like, three months later, they'll be gone? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, how are you managing your inventory? Who's your buyer? How are you figuring out how much to buy of each quantity? Mm-hmm. Who's processing your point of sale? What's the rate you're getting on your credit card transaction? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, who's doing your accounting, who's doing your taxes, uh, how are you structured, are you LLC, S-Corp, C-Corp, like all those different things. And I would, like, they look at me like they're crazy. Like, I, I always crazy. thought they like, was money fronts. <laughs> a lot of them <laughs> like could Like drug be. fronts, a like lot of them could clean be. some money for a couple of months and move on out. A lot of them could be. But, like, the, you see a lot of people who believe, like, mm, y'all yeah. want to be an entrepreneur. And it's like, all right, well, Tell me, when do you get paid? Mm-hmm. When do you make your money? Okay, when do you order your product? And when you order your product, are you paying as soon as you get it? Are you on terms? Mm-hmm. What's your credit agreement with them? Like, those are all things you got to think about so you don't run out of cash flow. Right. And I, I wish that entrepreneurial information was as prevalent as these coding camps. Yeah. Because then you will start to get people to say, all right, I got to think about all this before I start a business. Yeah. Maybe I'm not ready yet. We have, well, in Detroit, I know they have one at um, Tech Town. And Tech Town has, like, a couple of boot camps Mm -hmm. that's, like, entrepreneurial-based. And they have ones that's, like, starting from, like, the very, very beginning. Like, you just have an idea. Yeah. And you need to shape that idea. Yep. And then it goes all the way to somebody who already has a business, already have a product, already already have answers to those questions, yeah. but need to know how to move forward. So I know Tech Town has that in Detroit. I don't know how many more we have like that, but I yeah. know for sure, like, that's the one I've heard their actual, like, business and how they help people like that. Yeah. However many there are, I can tell you right now, it's not enough. It's not. <laughs> capacity of entrepreneurs and want to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. Right? 
I again, I don't want to tell you nobody's dream, right? And like all all businesses are not designed to last in perpetuity. Right. Sometimes they're designed to be, you know, I'm gonna make a couple of dollars and then I'm gonna get out and do some. That's fine. Mm-hmm. As long as you got a plan. Like it goes back to that whole intentionality piece. As long as you got a plan. Right. But when you operate in a space and you just don't even know the basics of the space, like that's dangerous. Yeah. Because like you're setting yourself up for a letdown. And I'm gonna tell you, black folks can be very critical on black folks who fail. Yeah. When I went to Israel, one of the things that I realized was that their culture um, encourages people to try and fail. Mm-hmm. Even like the posters, I mean, the advertisements that you see, and a lot of folks who end up becoming su- successful in the um, tech space are people who tried the idea, got some funding, failed, tried it again. Yeah. Here, like, if I gave you $100 to get this podcast up and popping, and it folded, it says, well, my 100 <laughs> I worked hard for my hundred. Yeah, and now you got to deal with your mom's like, I told you that wasn't going to work. You right. Go ahead and get a job. Right. Blah, 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 blah. So like that. But if you pop, there might be like, say, right. Nobody will say anything. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, you it's get a one shot chance. And I think I, I can honestly say like, I fell into that mindset myself and for other black people too. Like I used to be like that, but then I had to look back at my own life. Like I did a lot of trial and error, a lot of failing and coming back. And so it's, yeah, you get that a lot. Or you like, you get that one shot. And if you mess up on that one shot, it's like nobody else believing you until you actually come back and redeem yourself. Then they want to believe in you. So, so, so one of the things that people don't tell you about success. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I cut a couple. One, most of the people who are successful in life have coaches slash advisors. Yep. And they have them for different aspects of their advice, not just one. Mm-hmm. So they have the person who talks to them about finances. They have the person that talks about them, talks with them about maintaining physical health, whether that's a trainer mm-hmm. or just somebody who's athletic and competitive and keep each other accountable. Right. Um, one for spiritual guidance. No matter what you believe in, mm-hmm. it helps to be around like-minded people, right? And, of course, you learn from other people. Yeah. But like you need, whatever you believe in, you need to have a core of people right. around you to support your belief. Um, and career. You got to have somebody that's going to, like, say, hey, I've been there. I've done that. Let me help you avoid these pitfalls. Yeah. And and that is what, it is what drives success a lot. Mm-hmm. The second is there's a lot of privilege and success. <laughs> if I'm privileged to have access to capital, mm-hmm. or I know that if this business idea doesn't work out, I have a skill where I can go make fifty thousand dollars, like, and I can get a job like that. Right. Or I got some folks that'll hold me down. Let me come stay with them mm-hmm. until I get my bankroll back up. But if you don't have that, it's hard for you to take risk. Yep. It's very hard for you to it's take It's very, risk. like, one and done. Even within a corporate standpoint. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be the one in, like, hey, I got this new great idea. Like, you're just like, let me keep this job. <laughs> let me play it safe. Let me do right. what these folks are asking me to do. Right. Versus trying to rock the boat. And that rocking the boat, it's a risk. They might go with it. They might not. But if they go with it and it works, you could, you know, change the trajectory of their business. Right. That's real. I can see those being very useful. And I can say I... I feel like I have those things to be successful, but maybe I'm not utilizing them properly. So that makes that made me think about my life because I do have I do have a lot of privilege, but I may not have like the best, but I do still have a lot. Like some people 
who graduate from college, they don't have the option to stay home. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, my mom may not have, like, a lot of money, but she's able to be like, you can stay here until you figure some stuff yeah. out. So it's like, I do have that type of privilege. Like, she supports my podcast. Hey, ma. <laughs> she supports my podcast and, like, really pushed me to keep going, especially in months where I'm like, I want to stop. Right. And she'll be like, this is something you really love to do. It's a great purpose. And, like, she'll push me in that aspect. So I, if I don't have money, I definitely have support. So I'm going to give your listeners one gem that will change their life. Oh, listen right. up. Get right. your pen up if you put it down. Right. <laughs> so, like, I, I can't remember which podcast it was, but I, but it was one with the, the three young ladies that were talking, and they were kind of talking about how it's hard to sometimes relate to your coworkers mm-hmm. in these spaces. Yeah. Okay, so I have a mentee. And she shot me a text, and it, very similar things. Like, I don't know, I don't have. Wait, was it she too still? No, 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 no. Oh, no, okay. No, 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 no. It was. Shout uh, out to him though. No, it was the three girls that got the. Po- I think they also got a podcast. I don't know. But, but anyway, you yeah, you fine. But um, I got a mentee who's um doing very well, but she just entered a new job, and she talked about the fact that she didn't know what to talk to her Indian male coworkers about, mm-hmm. or like she has trouble relating to the older black women because they could be her mama, and they look at her stank. <laughs> yeah. Things, right? I'm going to tell you, you can gain so much insight by talking to the people around you and figuring out their life stories. Yeah. Right? Because they will drop some gems. And, and truth be told, everybody likes talking about themselves. They do. They might not just be, they might not be comfortable with it from, from the jump. But if they understand that you're asking from a place of like learning, mm-hmm. I had the benefit of like having being very close to my grandfather, older man who taught me how to shoot pool and all that kind of stuff, and they just gave me wisdom. They just taught me about life, and I, it spared my development up as a young man. Mm-hmm. And now, like both like my grandparents are past, my father's past. Like I regret that I don't have that to be able to talk to them about their experiences. Yeah, I find another way. So I, you know, I I, I create these relationships with older men mm-hmm. um to for them to teach me the game like right. teach me the game ghost like what's good <laughs> teach me the game ghost yeah not it, his little son oh I'm my just, goodness i'm just saying you, you need to, you need to you, there's certain things about growing up that you just don't know yet yeah and you know like even like I, I, like some of the advice you you hear from younger people like i think it's good advice it's their advice yeah. it's their story mm-hmm. right and even the stuff that I tell you, this is my story. You got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But when you're so close to it, you can't see perspective. Mm-hmm. 30 years from now, they know the result of the decisions they're making now. Yep. You can't see it beyond tomorrow, next week, a year. Mm-hmm. They can be like, all right, in five years, you're going to regret that. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Oh, my goodness. They know it. They know it you right? just made me have a flashback to some st- My mom will be like, okay. No. <laughs> I can tell you in six months, yeah. <laughs> you ain't gonna like this. I had a, I had a, I had a, um, a, a, another young mentee who was, um, um, had just gotten a trainer, mm-hmm. and like, I don't know, one way or another, I found out that her trainer was leaving like food in her house and so on and so forth, right? And I was just like, okay, I know what this is because I've seen it play out <laughs> a whole bunch of time with women and their trainers. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, months later, what is it? They dating, kinda. <laughs> you can call, let's call it dating. Let's call it dating. Yeah. Right? And the situation didn't play out long term. But, like, I've seen it happen so much. And yeah. So that's why the stigmas exist for a reason. And for, you know, some trainers, that's what they do. They mess with their clients. I'm not saying that's all trainers, but there are some trainers that are very specific. Like, I do not 
they clients. Yeah, they don't mess with that. They understand the cash flow piece. Like if I train you and you good and you happy, you gonna tell your girls and then they gonna tell their girls and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. I don't want to mess up my money. Right. Not everybody think about it. Like yeah, that. a lot of people be trying to find places to stay. Yeah. Because they really not <laughs> trainers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's what I call a hobo sexual. Mm. <laughs> Hobo, like you don't have a home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that's good advice. I like that. I like your goals. It's really good. And I hope y'all wrote that down because you know I tell you in the beginning to get your notes out. So yeah, and if even if you don't feel comfortable with doing it, right, put it in the context of something. Um, so for example, if you're just starting off in the in the work industry, like if let's say you're just getting into tech or pharmaceutical, whatever case may be, automotive, right? Mm-hmm. Ask somebody, was like, what was it like when you first got into the industry? Was it like my experience? Right? And they say, well, what's your experience? Here's my experience. How's, how's it different? I would have, that's what I really wished I would have asked um, a year before I graduated. Because mm-hmm. I did not expect to, like, have such a break in between, like, ending school and finding work. Mm-hmm. And now, like, when I talk to people, they're like, oh, yeah, it took me, like, a year. Or it took me 10 months. Or, like, one person was like, it took me two years to find a job in engineering. And I had to work other places to figure it until I got a, a decent job. Let me tell you why. I was like, why didn't nobody tell me this? But, but let me tell you why your experience was like that. Because that's not a normalized experience, per mm-hmm. se. And sometimes what we do is um, try to make sense of our circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, and rationalize it through other people's experience. Mm-hmm. But that that's not why. A part of it, is, and this isn't the boo-boo on the school, <laughs> okay, but a part of it is that a lot of people don't even recognize what Lawrence Tech has to offer, mm-hmm. right? And that's not to say it's a bad school, because I met your dean, I've been there, right? The curriculum is solid. Mm-hmm. It's just it doesn't have a strong name recognition. Mm-hmm. So a lot of companies are not going to come looking for Lawrence Tech grads. You got to be more proactive. So you can't even compare your search to somebody who went to a Michigan State or, oh, yeah. or whatever case may be, right? So that's one thing. Um, the second thing is like utilizing your network early and often. Mm-hmm. And like the way that people go about getting jobs is very different. Yeah. Um, between conferences, there's a lot of online platforms, right? And we've been bamboozled into thinking that there's this huge engineering shortage. Yeah. And that's not fully true. Yeah. It's body. So there are regions where there are shortages. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily all across the the country. Yeah. Number two, there are skill level shortages. Yeah. So I might need a mechanical engineer with five to seven years experience. Yep. Or I might need somebody who has experience with... Uh, computational fluid dynamics. Yep. I might need someone who understands ergonomics. Mm-hmm. Right. So just because you have an engineering degree doesn't mean that you could fit in that yep. role. And there's so few people in these niches that it's hard to find them. So those jobs a lot of times get don't get filled. Yeah. Meanwhile, you like, uh, I need a job. What <laughs> job? Where y'all at? Yeah. And it's because there's a there's a mismatch between what you, what your skill set is and where the jobs are to offer that skill set. Yeah. Uh, and there's an information gap because mm-hmm. a lot of times they don't necessarily put those jobs on LinkedIn or Monster or whatever case may be. It's who you know. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I try to tell people it's like it's it, it trying to find that right job is like it's a lot of like dating. Yeah. But you got to have as much information as possible. And I wish that companies 
universities really taught people what it means to be proactive in a job search. Yeah. That would have been helpful. I'm learning now, but it would have been helpful to learn that before I graduated. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's, yeah. So, I'm learning that. I'm growing pains. But where can people find you? Oh, uh, so you can find me on uh, IG, STEM Lifestyle. Um, you can find me on Twitter, The STEM Lifestyle, I think, or vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be in the link below. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it'll be in the link. Uh, those are mainly the two ways. I, I'm not on Snap. I'm not on TikTok, Kick, all that stuff. Oh, no, no. I don't think. Yeah. I'm not either. Well, I'm on Snapchat, but not the other ones. My biggest fear, you know what my biggest fear in life is? Putting out something on Snap that was meant for somebody. and Ooh, I've seen that happen yeah. way too much, right? I've seen that happen to a friend before, and I immediately messaged her, like, take this take down. Out, yeah. Like, she was like, oh, my God, I meant to send that to a specific person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's. I've seen it go bad way too much. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let me stick to these little platforms I know. Yeah. Yep. What about LinkedIn? Are you on yeah, one? I'm on LinkedIn. Okay, because uh, some people are like, no, don't add me on there. <laughs> I don't I don't mind. So my LinkedIn advice, I tell people, don't add me unless you're telling me why you add me. Oh, I so you like the little note? Listen, I got like a thousand little joints. Yeah, that and, makes sense. And don't even send me the generic note. Like, <laughs> where do I know you from? Or like, why are you connected? Or what can I do for you? Right? Yeah. Now, there's a whole industry of people who got LinkedIn down pat. They'll yes. send you a note as soon as you accept... Thank you for accepting, you know, how can I help you, blah, 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 blah. And those people are connectors. They understand the power of being able to point you to somebody they know that because you're looking for a resource that they know exists. Yeah. Right? Um, those people are very powerful in life. It's very important for you to have connectors. Uh, and I know people who just, they get a massive amount of invites mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And it does me no good to just have a bunch of friends and be able to say I got 500 connections or mm -hmm. whatever. I want to be connected to people who I genuinely have an interest in. I want to see what's going on in your timeline. I want you to be able to hit me up and say, uh, hey, I saw that you were in D.C. Like, I got a friend that's in D.C., y'all. Maybe next time I'll connect you. Or I see that you went to Michigan. I'm thinking about going to Michigan. Do you have any advice? Mm -hmm. I'll answer that stuff all day long. Yeah. Don't just hit me with the boom. <laughs> it just feels hey, late. we it were feels at a late. conference together. It feels late. Like, so it was my 35th birthday, uh, Friday, and yeah, we related birthday. Thank you, thank you. You get all the um, happy birthday joints, right? Yeah, and like I appreciate people for thinking about it, but in the back of my head, I'm like, like you just got just to hit alert. the yeah, <laughs> and just, just hit it right. And then there's other people who will like make it personal mm -hmm. and knows me so much more. In a, in a time of day where it's like, it's very easy to just like connect. There's a guy who created this app that listens in to conference calls mm -hmm. and it and it listens for his name. Mm -hmm. And when his name is, is uh, said or the content that he's working on is said, it notifies him. It automatically does a pause mm -hmm. and it plays him back the last three to five seconds of what was said in the call. Oh, wow. So he could be like, oh, sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Meanwhile, like he's like over somewhere chilling, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And because he's like, these cars are not productive. Oh, yeah, that's ingenious. That is smart. <laughs> I was, I was sorry, I was on mute. Yeah, I, was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> so, I need that. <laughs> but like people are like trying to every day trying to create things to make their life easier mm -hmm. or do things that 
are recurring that they want to do without thinking about it. Yeah. And it's like, I appreciate it, but it feels empty sometimes. Like, like I'm still the person who likes to pick up the phone and call people. Oh, no. Exactly. <laughs> and I'll be like, I'll be lonely. I'll be like, I call a uh, voicemail, call a uh, voicemail. Like, <laughs> damn, I don't know what to talk. No, you better text me first. I get it. And I, I text too, but now. But I'll answer a FaceTime before I answer a phone call. Really? Yeah. That's weird. I'm a FaceTimer. Well, you know, I just switched to Apple's like mm, three months ago. Okay. And I found the opposite. Like, my sister and everybody will FaceTime. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people won't respond to FaceTime. I would. I would answer a FaceTime quicker. Well, it depends on who's calling, too. But I would definitely answer a FaceTime before a phone call. Okay. Because it's like we're face-to-face. Like, yeah. maybe I don't have to necessarily. Like, I have a friend that I we FaceTime, like, out of seven days, I would say, like, maybe three to four days out of the week. Okay. And, like, maybe our phones may be on pause, but, like, <laughs> it'll be, like, a phone call, but I can, you know, unpause and see yeah. their face. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, yeah. Right. I'm a FaceTime. So, now I know the next time I hit you, I'm going FaceTime. I'll answer. <laughs> if I'm, well, if I'm not busy or, like, sleep, I'll definitely no answer. Excuses. I'm like, what up? No excuses. What you doing? <laughs> I don't care what time it is. No excuses. No, no matter what it's time. On wax, it's on wax. It's on the podcast. Oh, wow. It's only on one person who calls me at random hours, and that's because they live in California. And she'd be like, you don't ever sleep. And I'm like, I just be up at random hours. So, if, if you call, I'm going to answer. And then when I'm busy, I'll let you know I can't talk. But most of the time, I'll answer any FaceTime that come through. All right. Except for it's like certain people I don't want to talk to. And I'm like, sorry, cannot talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much for coming oh, on. It's my pleasure. You got me it's, all the way on the east side. Uh, yes. Had the West Siders over here on the east side talking about the east side. But <laughs> it's okay. It's cool. Whatever. I'm going to let it slide. But yeah, thank you so much for coming. I'm very honored that you're here. I appreciate it. And I hope everybody enjoyed the episode because, you know, y'all listen. Y'all like it. So, um, yeah. I'll see you uh, next week. And... Have a great week. Bye.